You're listening to Spoonie Tea Time, where we talk about faith, books, and chronic illness. I'm Holly Conklin. I was diagnosed with arthritis shortly after graduating university, and this radically shaped my life, my faith, and my way of interacting with the world. Join me for a glimpse into the life of the chronically ill. Hello there, and welcome to episode 9. I mentioned last episode that my energy has been doing a lot better lately, which has been very nice, but it's also been kind of difficult. I am still quite tired, I still have pain, and to keep my fatigue and pain down, I have kind of a difficult lifestyle to upkeep. For a while now, I've been pretty particular about what I eat, when I sleep, how often I work out, how hard I work out, and all sorts of things, which has helped me get to where I am today and being at least a tiny bit functional, but it also means that doing that and then adding on housework on top of it, I find I don't have a lot left in me to do much of anything else, so I'm still trying to work that out and make sure I'm living life a little while taking care of myself and trying not to be dead weight around the house. All that to say, I'm pretty tired and I don't feel like I'm doing much of anything fun. I think that might be okay for a season. I would love to get my house in order, but hopefully I'll find a better balance soon. In the meantime, I've still got books to talk about, so let's jump in. I just finished Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. It's one of those books I kept seeing referenced everywhere and it has nice cover art and I think I listened to the author on an 88 Cups of Tea episode, so when it went on sale on Audible, I picked it up. It's ultimately a heist story set in a fantasy universe, which I thought was rather neat. I don't think I've ever seen a heist story in a fantasy world. I mean, there are, you know, heists within bigger stories like Harry Potter. There's one as well, but this book was like, that was the main purpose, which I thought was really fun. I quite enjoy heist stories, or at least heist within stories. I find that heist movies are often kind of flat. I've never liked, uh, what are those popular ones with George Clooney? Oh, the Ocean series. I've never loved those or like the Italian job. I'm like, oh, this is okay. But to me, these stories kind of fall flat. It seems mostly about the heist itself rather than characters and themes and the things I find a bit more interesting. Whereas a nice thing about having a whole book on this is that you have so much more space to actually really get into who's pulling the heist and their backstories and their interpersonal issues and all that, which I thought was fun. I think it was well done and I enjoyed the world that Bardugo created. It felt gritty but not overly so and the characters were interesting enough. It did though bug me that they were all teenagers. The basic story is that in this fantasy world, there's this new formula for a chemical compound that's going to do very bad things to everyone. I won't go into all the details, I'm trying to keep these as spoiler-friendly as possible, but the scientist responsible for creating this formula is under lock and key in the hardest to break into facility in the world or what have you. 
and a gang leader, Kaz, is hired to break into this place and retrieve this person and bring him back. And of course, so many professionals have tried this feat before, assassins and spies, and there's other criminals as well who try and fail to do this. There's a lot of money at stake here. And so when I hear that, I would think, okay, you'll need the best team ever to break into this place. And when I think best team ever, I think of people who have actually lived a life and have experience for years and years doing these things. (laughs) But no, apparently the best team ever is a bunch of teenagers who are all like two years apart too. It's not even like a 13-year-old and a 19-year-old. It's like everyone's 16 or 17 or somewhere around there, which... I get. It's a YA book. You're supposed to have characters that the readers can identify with or what have you. And I'm curious if that's why Bardugo made everyone roughly the same age or if she actually thought it would work better with the story. I know as a writer, I often feel pressured to have characters be a certain age just because I'm targeting a certain age group. So for my fantasy story I'm working on now, It's a middle grade fantasy novel, so all my characters are around 12 years old, even though maybe I would prefer them to be a different age for the sake of the story. But nope, readers gotta identify with the people they're reading about, so that's how it sells, is if you have people the right age. Which might be a valid thing most of the time. I get why that's the case, but I also kind of wonder if it's always necessary Maybe most readers like reading about people their age, but I feel like part of the draw of reading is to walk in someone else's shoes and see life through a new perspective. And how are we going to do that if we only read about characters that we identify with? I know when I was a child, I preferred to read about characters who were older than me. And I just kind of wished there was more room to write say, adult novels with child protagonists or vice versa, just to, I don't know, expand our minds a little bit more. Maybe it wouldn't sell as much, but I'm sure there's a niche audience. I would be right there. I would be that niche audience. All that to say, I wasn't totally sold on the idea of making everyone roughly the same age, but I'm not saying it's the wrong choice. It just kind of bugged me. And it's not that teenagers can't be brilliant and know their stuff. And I mean, these particular teenagers had rough lives that forced them to grow up fast. And that makes sense to me. But just the likelihood that the best possible candidates are all within two years of age difference, especially when you're needing probably people with a huge amount of experience, seems a bit off to me. But other than that, I quite enjoyed it, and I enjoyed learning about why all the characters were volunteering for this heist. I mean, it's one of those things that you're almost for sure going to die or be imprisoned forever, yet they choose to embark on this quest. There's a huge payday, but these characters are, like, in debt, they've had rough lives, they have dreams, And if they just have that extra cash, they can live these dreams. And I thought that was relatable. And that made it a little bit easier to empathize with them, I guess, as they go on this quest. Other movies, you're like, okay, I don't at all feel that drive just to have money for money's sake. But it's a different story when the character wants the money to purchase their freedom and live the life they've always hoped for. 
Happy one year anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve, everyone. Here's to hoping we have no more of these anniversaries in the future. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I guess it's different depending on where you live, but from where I am, it's basically exactly one year since everything started really locking down. I think I'm with a lot of people that I have things to say about this last year. It was just so messed up on so many levels, but I feel like there's been enough complaining about everything from one point of view or the other, so I'm going to do my best to be positive about this year. So welcome to the quarantine silver linings episode where I try my hardest not to complain about the crap of the last year and focus on what God's been doing instead because the reality is he's still in control, always has been, and he has a special ability to turn darkness into light and, well, he has a lot of material to work with, doesn't he? I can't speak for everyone, but I sure know that he's been working in my life this year as much as it's been painful the way he's doing it, but I still appreciate a lot of what's been happening. One thing I'm thankful for is that the quarantine forced me to take a step back from work, which turned out to be a good thing in the long run as hard as it was in the moment, but I had started flaring up in my hands a couple weeks before everything locked down, so I had actually been off work before the lockdown. I talked about this in more detail in episode 2, but essentially I was supposed to take a break from work until I could talk to the rheumatologist and make sure I'm not permanently damaging my hands or anything. And what was supposed to be a two-week wait to see the rheumatologist turned into a six-month one because of the lockdown because I actually needed to be there in person for him to run more tests on me. I lost my job in that six months, but because I was only able to work part-time anyway before that, and because with everything weird going on, the government's been throwing out money left and right, I ended up not actually losing any money, but just having a whole lot more time to sit back and think about my health and address it and work on getting better. Which, until recently, didn't seem to be doing a whole lot, but I think my diet and lifestyle changes have finally been paying off. For the first time in a while, I feel like I'm actually building strength rather than losing it, and I don't think I would have been able to do that if I had stuck at work. So I am thankful that the lockdown provided me with a good opportunity to finally take care of myself the way I should have beforehand and that that is starting to pay off. And the same goes for my spiritual health too. I know a year ago at this time I had been thinking about becoming Orthodox for a while. I'd been listening to a lot of Eastern Orthodox podcasts and reading their books, and I was drawn to this way of doing things. But I was committed to a church already, and I wasn't really keen on skipping services to actually test out Orthodoxy and see if it's everything they say it is. And I also didn't really have the energy to figure out how to engage more with the Orthodox Church without skipping a Sunday service. But suddenly I wasn't allowed to go to church anymore and I took that as an opportunity to start engaging more with the Orthodox Church and testing them out and seeing if that's something I actually wanted to switch over to. 
So I reached out to a local Orthodox parish and started attending their cyber services and classes and talking to some of the congregants and the priest over Zoom, of course. Which, side note, was also kind of a nice thing about the quarantine, as much as I would prefer to meet people in person. For much of the last year, I have not been physically okay enough to visit people in person, at least not all that often. So I am kind of thankful that the quarantine more normalized some of these video chats. Um, At least for me, it meant I could attend way more services and classes and one-on-one meetings than I would have otherwise. I've discussed here and there some of the benefits I've been seeing from engaging with traditional Christianity, but I haven't just outright gone in detail on just how much this has meant to me in this last year. It probably wouldn't come as much of a surprise that this last year has been the hardest of my life, easily. It has been for a lot of people, with the lockdown and all that, but I had the added bonus of dealing with declining health in the lockdown, and I mentioned before I also got dumped for being arthritic during this time, which was a bit of a doozy for a number of reasons. It got to the point where not only did I feel hopeless about my earthly future anyway, but I was actually afraid of hoping. It felt like everything was being taken from me systematically, starting with my hobbies and my job, eventually my boyfriend and every other friend I had in town who I wasn't allowed to see. For perhaps the first time in my life, I really wrestled with trusting God. But what got me through that time was, of course, God. And he helped me through this time largely through the Orthodox Church. I had just started talking to this local priest right before my life started spiraling out of control and before I plunged into what was the darkest point of my life thus far. And when all this craziness happened, this priest was still essentially a stranger. I talked to him a couple times maybe at this point. But he treated me with such undeserved compassion. It's hard to express what that meant to me at the time. I think it's the first time I really felt what Christian love was supposed to look like. I mean, it's not like I hadn't been loved at that point, but it was usually by people you kind of expect it from, you know, friends and family and whatnot. But this was a person who had no earthly reason to really care about me at all, especially since I was at my most dysfunctional. I couldn't offer anyone anything. For me, it was a big moment when I think I finally realized that I could not earn anyone's love. And yet, here it was being freely offered, just like God freely offers it to all of us. And that's a beautiful thought for obvious reasons, but it's also a challenging one. And it's a moment I realized, this is what I should be to everyone. I want everyone to feel that way around me, that there's nothing they can possibly do to make me stop caring about them and trying to do what's best for them. I am far from being there, but it helps having this tangible image of what that should look like and should feel like. As much as I didn't enjoy that period of darkness, I am grateful that God had been preparing me to deal with it, leading up to it, partly through the quarantine. Again, it was the quarantine that helped me finally take those steps in engaging more with the Orthodox Church, which in turn provided me with resources that would prove invaluable for dealing with all this. Number one of which is the traditional prayers. 
I have talked about them before, most notably in episode four, and I will probably talk about them again because I think they are an invaluable tool. I'd always known that prayer was a good thing and something I should be doing, but I never really knew how to approach it and I wasn't ever super motivated to put a lot of effort into it. But it was the Orthodox Church and the podcasts I was listening to and the people I was talking to that motivated me to see the value in daily prayers where you're often praying the exact same thing every day. And I started seeing prayer as an important work, but work in the right way. I talk a little bit in episode four about how people are designed to work and we feel horrible when we're not able to. I know this was the case for me. One of the reasons that the last year was so rough was because I felt I couldn't do anything useful. But through my encounter with orthodoxy, I started understanding that prayer is not only a good work, but probably the most important work, more important than my old job was for sure, and that it actually does do something. And knowing this helped get me through this dark time because even though I wasn't able to physically help anyone or clean the house or what have you, I was doing something far more important and I knew it was shaping me and I believe that it was also shaping the world in some way. And that's something that partially because of the quarantine I got a lot better at. I started memorizing some traditional prayers and some of the psalms and praying them daily. And I am so thankful for this practice. And there are so many other reasons that I've benefited from the Orthodox Church over the last year in particular that I can't go into crazy detail here. But I will say that in my experience, so far the Orthodox Church has been so much fuller and richer than anything I've encountered previously, which is something I desperately needed this last year and probably could have used my whole life. But again, last year, hardest year of my life. So I'm thankful that I was able to encounter it before all this crap happened so that I was a bit better prepared to deal with it. Not just because it taught me to pray better and that I met a great priest who showed me compassion when I needed it, but also the teachings and how they talk about suffering and how they talk about our destiny with God. It helped me find meaning in my suffering and not just meaning, but joy to a degree because I understood better than I had ever before how these experiences were transforming me into what I was meant to be in Christ. And not only that, but I also felt more excited about this future than ever before. I, for the first time in my life, I think I felt genuinely excited about getting to know God and entering into communion with him. And when you're excited about the end results of your experiences of your sufferings and turmoil and work and labor, then it's so much easier to bear all kinds of hardships. So yeah, this last year has been stupid on so many levels, but you know, God's still working through it and I can see it in my life. I hope you're able to see it in yours. If not, then you still got time. God's not done with you yet, and I hope and pray that one day we will all see the bigger picture. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear and want to support more content like this, you can do so financially at buymeacoffee.com slash spoonyteatime. 
You can also help out by giving us a rating and a review on iTunes or your chosen podcast platform. Until next time, rest hard and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.